Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Podcana, episode 22. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Kawa. And we have some interesting news this week. We actually have our first Lorcana errata. Kawa, are you, are you familiar with the word errata? I know you come mostly from a digital card game background. Have you heard of uh, what an errata is? I have not. I love this, man. Every week I learn new words from you. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, so errata is um, it's it's not that drastic in Lorcana, mm -hmm. but it's 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 probably one of the worst things that can happen in a, in a card game in terms of like fixing cards. Mm -hmm. Basically, what it means is that they alter the text on the on the back end in the official rules, the oracle text, whatever you want to call it, uh, to say something different than it says on the card. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of bad because you know when new players engage with the game. Basically, what the card says is not what it does, <laughs> and yeah, it can lead to some tension for sure. So it's usually used as a, a very last resort kind of thing. Sure, uh, you know, games will usually balance around these cards or or you know ban them outright rather than errata them. But in Lorcana's case, the errata is actually pretty small, and actually, it probably doesn't change how you were playing the card anyway. Uh, it refers to Hey Hey uh, here, and basically, Hey Hey said uh, the support. Mechan or the support keyword said whenever this character quests you may add their attack to another chosen character's attack this turn mm -hmm. um and now it has been updated to shows so sorry the updated text is to another chosen character the original play or the original print was a chosen character so in the original print i guess you could theoretically target itself mm -hmm. um and now you know it does specify that it's another character you know if it's questing I, the original thought is like why would you target uh, itself because it's already tapped, but I guess that 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 could be relevant. Sure. And uh, yeah, so they also say at the time this post is unclear whether the other erotic cards such as Befuddle or Work Together will be also fixed in this restock. So the yeah, I'm not sure they have. So with this errata, they printed a new version of Hey Hey rather than than just only updated this this rules mm -hmm. uh, sort of in their in their database, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we'll see if that goes out for Befuddle and work together as well. But all very small erratas. Um, I've played a few games that erratas have have happened. In, in Flesh and Blood, there was one that was pretty significant uh, that like drastically changed what, the, what one of the heroes did. But mm -hmm. it was all good. So yeah, nothing too crazy on that end. Um, other than that, you know, tons of Rise of the Floodborne reveals uh, as usual. I mean, I, I just want to say... Ravensburger. I don't know if you call were paying a lot of attention, sort of prior to release, but mm -hmm. they had one of the worst <laughs> card release, like uh, preview and spoiler seasons mm -hmm. that I've ever seen. Oh, it, wow. it was very lackluster. But, but hands up, uh, hands up. Don't 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 come at me quite yet. I will say that this this Rise of the Floodborne spoiler season has probably been the best one I've I've ever seen. Like mm -hmm. it is very well distributed it's been slowly dripped out um i'm consistently excited so i just want to give them kudos for that because it's been very engaging they've also actually uh been like uh, giving card reveals to a lot of uh Lorcana, you know sites and even small kind of content creators which i think is absolutely amazing to see uh i know for example tonight there's a well tonight for me whatever time zone you guys are in uh today it's probably gonna be out by the time you guys see the pod or listen to the pod but there's more like card reveals coming in a, little, in a little bit today and i think this could supposed to be like four cards revealed for that so that's like super exciting right and of, of course like we're getting to the stage where it's like what like two we're basically like two weeks maybe two and a half weeks out from rise of floodborne and there's still a lot of cards we haven't seen so this is this is where it gets really exciting so we get to see a lot of cards in a short space of time right yeah definitely um <laughs> I really like it when the cards are actually dripped slowly over mm -hmm. a few weeks like we've we've seen so far. Um 
and yes, I want to iterate that I think they smashed out of the park. <laughs> Flesh and Blood is pretty much, it's so antithetical to that. Flesh and Blood releases everything in like two days in a weekend. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah, I've asked them a million times what they do it, and they say it's because of some like logistical issue. But uh, yeah, I mean, slowly dripping it, allowing us to experience the cards uh, one by one and sort of they each one that comes out expands our, our knowledge of the game and you know potential archetypes and deck builds. And it, it's a great experience. So I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, this spoiler season for Rise of the Floodboard. One other thing that happened is <clears throat> apparently the restocks uh, did hit. Mm-hmm. So maybe... I don't know if this was those October restocks. I'm assuming that's what it was, you know, where they pushed up the restock date to October. And then it was like, did it happen? It like kind of didn't happen in October, but it looks like it hit early, early November or very, very late October here. So um, that's good to see. <clears throat> I know SCG, you know, posts on their website, Star City Games is a big, a big online retailer. And yeah, for them to have stock is, is pretty significant. And also, <laughs> Kawa, you and I were talking about this. So I just want to bring this to the format forefront it does look like star city games has potentially made a deal with ravensburger lorcana i don't know if that's public info i'm just going off of um you know they have a lorcana 1k at the upcoming seg con pittsburgh mm-hmm. they're posting it has a sort of a main banner on their website next to magic uh and flesh and blood and i just know how it worked with seg and flesh and blood i had a little bit of information on the back end um where they were working directly together. And there is some sort of deal between those games. And yeah, we've seen SEG write content about Lorcanus. Looks like they're invested sort of in the game. I will say that SEG is really interesting because I was recently at an SEG con, SEG con Dallas for mm-hmm. the Flesh and Blood tournament. And they look like they're transitioning into a company that will host many games under their sort of flagship banner at these SEG cons. Because prior, you know, previously, like a few years ago, it was kind of only magic, but you know, even most recently, this past weekend in Dallas, it was Magic, Flesh and Blood, and uh, My Hero Academia. So it looks like as we go to Pittsburgh, it's going to be f- like four games or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Lost Caverns of Ixalan, Modern, Lakana, and Flesh and Blood Battleheart. So no My Hero Academia there, but still, looks like you'll be able to walk up to an SEG con and play like a, a slew of games as they, you know whether it's this year or in the next couple of years to come. Looks like that's what they're angling towards. Because SEG Con and <laughs> SEG, Star City Games, and Channel Fireball are kind of the big two competitors there mm-hmm. for tournament hosts and these like big conventions in the United States, at least. So it's interesting to see sort of how they're they're starting to differentiate and, and grow into this new market where there's a million TCGs coming out. Definitely, yeah. Uh, another two events I want to just touch on as we're talking about Star City Games. Uh, Obviously, recently we had the uh, Miami Open run by PPG. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just looking on Twitter here, and they have announced two events for Rise of the Floodborne. So if any of you guys are interested in participating in um, some pretty big tournaments, uh, I want to point them out right now. So we have on December 2nd uh, to December 3rd, we have a Lorcana 2K taking place in uh, Columbus. Is that Ohio, I want to say? Yep, that is um, Ohio. And it's going to be a Swiss day one into a top court. So that's a 2K. And then also on uh, December 21st to 22nd, if you guys want to, you know, uh, get yourselves an early Christmas present, I guess, win a Lorcana tournament. There's also another 2K taking place in Orlando, Florida as well. And so I'm sure I'll get Brandon to put the links for those, uh, for that information in the description below. But yeah, that's super exciting to see, right? I'm, I mean, I think PPG did a great job with the last, um, Miami tournament, right? It's like the biggest Lorcana tournament we've ever seen. So if it's as big as that, I'm hoping it'll be bigger. It's uh, it's gonna be great to see, and I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see all the deck lists that are gonna come out of that once we really get yeah. our hands on Floodborne. 
You know what I just noticed? We just talked about SEG expanding into Larkana mm-hmm. um, and hosting this upcoming tournament at SEGCon, which is a big deal. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. It means that probably most of these SEG, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely assuming that these future SEG cons will have Larkana tournaments. But I also just remembered that last week we were just talking about TCG players yeah. invitational. Yeah. TCG player is Channel Fireball. I forgot about that. I forgot TCG player bought Channel Fireball. Mm. So that's in it's going to be super interesting to see the two biggest tournament organizers or to what i understand to be the two biggest or- tournament organizers for tcgs in the united states looks like they might be going head to head in terms of like lacana tournament hosting which for us as the consumers as the players is the best thing possible <laughs> so wondering if we're going to see those at some of these channel fireball events i does channel fireball even have opens anymore it's interesting because channel fireball was was hosting the flesh and blood events mm-hmm. um but they lost the contract and scg actually actually took it away mm-hmm. so huh interesting we have i, I think that lorcana organized play you know we had these grassroots picking up with like ppg i mean uh ppg and there's going to be other smaller tournament organizers get involved as well i know realm games is looking and max is looking and then there's the big boys like channel fireball and scg but also q2 2024 we have ravensburger committing to an official yeah. organized play program i assume they're going to take a similar path that flesh and blood did so flesh and blood just partnered with channel fireball initially and now seg and seg has to what i understand i'm not too versed on it somewhat of a white label service to sort of you know, we will host your game, we will put your tournaments on, we will make the circuit happen kind of thing. Um, so I would not be surprised to see them do a deal like that, mm-hmm. which would be great. That would be like a very, very legitimate organized play program for us to deal with. The events would be super well run. The judging would be there. All the infrastructure you need, that's like best case scenario, to be honest, way better than them trying to do it themselves because that would be a lot of growing pain. So yeah, exciting. I think we're going to be spoiled in 2024 for Lakana, to be honest. I, it's it, Lakana is one of those games that the future kind of just gets brighter and brighter. <laughs> I feel like with other games, you you get the hype and then it starts it kind of starts to peter off a bit. Uh, you know, people get a little bit, little bit more cynical. The new game comes out, their attention diverts. But Lorcana's kind of done the opposite, where it's only gotten more exciting. The future's just gotten brighter. Surely there'll be an inflection point in the future where maybe the hype dies down. But it seems like we, just, in terms of news, we just get banger after mm-hmm. banger after banger. Yeah. And everything that we wanted with the game kind of comes to fruition. Yeah, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, looks like it's uh, looks like Lorcana's willing and ready to compete in that in that sort of big three. So. And I think that it has the, I think this game can do it from a fundamental standpoint, from the gameplay, et cetera. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big TCG nerd, so it makes, it gets me super excited. Anyway, Kawa, you want to jump into this Rise of the Floodborne? You want to jump into these new spoilers? Of course. Uh, where are we starting, my friend? I so can't I think remember. We're where did we, we finish last? Uh, it's, um... So we finished with Merlin, I believe, like Merlin the Crab. I think we're over on Lady Tremaine. Yeah, I think we're about um, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we may go over one or two that we've already seen, but I think I don't think so. So let's start out with a Ruby card. Yeah, we have Lady Tremaine, overbearing matriarch. She's a two-two, cost two, cannot be inked. Storyborn villain has ability. It says not for you. When you play this character, each opponent with more lore than you loses one lore, and it quests for two. So this card is quest pretty one, interesting. No? Oh yeah, quest sorry, it does quest yeah. for one. It's so funny because I actually I saw it quest for one. And I just said two for no reason. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's a this card is interesting because it has a direct parallel to a card like Ursula, which doesn't have that conditional, um, but 
you know, Ursula also draws off the one lore, but getting this effect for two, is that super powerful? Because ultimately you're getting a somewhat underwhelming body, right? Like a two, two, the quest for one is not super exciting, especially mm -hmm. uh, to be uninkable. What do you think about the ability? You think that's powerful enough? I mean, I can compare it directly to a card like Aladdin, right? Aladdin is a free cost, is inkable to two that quests for quest for one, right? I'm pretty yeah, it does quest for one. Uh, the difference the difference with that card is obviously you play that card. You don't just play that card to be able to shift into the big Aladdin. That's obviously a nice upside to the card, but it's basically you in my opinion, you're looking at this card as okay, it's a Aladdin that you get out earlier because you played on two instead of three. It's not inkable. But it accomplishes the same thing. Like, yes, like if you're already winning, you can play Aladdin. But usually, I feel like, you know, like I, I don't think you're ever going to have Lady Tremaine in your hand and be like, oh, you know, this card is so dead because I'm ahead of Laura and my opponent yeah. isn't. Maybe that's the situation. But overall, it doesn't like blow me away. I, I think if I wanted to play this type of effect, I'd probably just play the smaller Aladdin, just because it's inkable. Mm. That one extra cost more doesn't seem too bad to me. But like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's okay, but from from like yeah, initial impression, it doesn't seem great to me. Two very restrictive things going on with this card. One is the ability. The ability is actually quite conditional. Mm. The opponent has to be on a higher, mm -hmm. a higher lore than you. That That's pretty significant, to be yeah. honest. Mm. Especially if you're playing... I mean, then it would really limit what kind of ruby decks it could go into. Also, in uninkable, there's no way you're playing this card in control. Yeah. It would be terrible. Mm. Um, controls uninkable slots are for the most premium cards in the game. So this would be more of an aggro where that ability is just irrelevant. And yeah, I don't know. Just as an uninkable, I see this card being, to be honest, mostly unplayable unless, yeah. unless it's shifting into something that's I agree. certainly broken. I agree. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, you want to read out the goat for yeah, us? Yeah, we got Merlin the goat. He is a four cost inkable, four three, storyborn mentor, sorcerer with an ability that reads, Here I come. When you play this character and when he leaves play, gain one lore. So, I mean, this card seems kind of interesting. The stat line, I'm not too impressed, right? I mean, for, for four, you're only getting a four three, which can get smashed, which can get Rafiki'd, which can be dealt with pretty easily. Um, but I mean, if you're ever playing some type of maybe aggro, uh, amethyst list, you're always getting two lore with this card, right? This is a, a four cost. You always get two lore with this. And then if it does stick, you possibly get even more lore for it. So I think you want to fit it into an, an aggro type of deck. Um, but yeah, besides that, it seems like a fine card. I, I, I would definitely experiment with, with it for sure, because I think, the idea of that you're always guaranteed two lore from this card is super interesting. Yeah, it is. So this card definitely doesn't fit in control. I also think it doesn't fit into aggro. Okay. Where I think it fits in is a, is the new archetype, which is this sort of bounce archetype sure, sure, sure. In, in Amethyst. You get more value um, out Obviously, of it. that mm. yeah, that deck doesn't exist yet, so it's pretty hard to um, to sort of visualize what that deck list might look like. That being said, there's a few cards we've seen so far that have an effect somewhat like this um but those effects have been playable in other archetypes like we saw with not mata mim yeah and uh and any the other cards this this card i don't think so i think if you're not if you're just playing this card as a four uh, a four ink four three that gets a lore when it dies and then quest for one it's super underwhelming um so i'd be very very surprised if this is something that could make it into a deck list because like if you looked at i mean in control right let's draw let's draw a direct comparison uh, in control, you would 
never play this over Pongo, right? No, no, <laughs> like of you're because you, if if you need if you need stats, right? If you need stats, you need four. Because you're probably looking at this, you're like, oh, maybe you can play some control that deals with Cusco. Well, you know what else deals with Cusco? Um, Gaston. And Gaston yeah. costs two. <laughs> so I'd rather trade my two costs for their five costs than my four costs for their five costs. Um, so I think you need to be you need to be getting value out of this ability. This is one of the first cards we've seen that that is under the umbrella of this bounce archetype um, that I actually think kind of only goes in that deck. I actually, like, from the more I look at this card, I do think it's better than I've even, like, first looking at, mainly because it's a card that allows you to instantly get lore when you play it. There's not too many cards that can do that at the moment, well, right? We have, um... There is, is a it? lot in Rise I, of the Flood. I, I have the Fates, but that's what I'm saying, right? If there's a lot in, in, in Rise of the Floodborne, then maybe if there's a lot, then there's better options, sure. But it is interesting to note that is, you know, at the moment I look at this card and be like, oh, I definitely play this because... Maybe I'm in that situation where I top deck a card and it's this and I win, right? It's such a rare situation, but it could happen. So for that instance, I think it's uh, interesting. But yeah, I I will definitely experiment with this card for sure. Yeah, I do want to say for anybody listening to this that plays uh, currently plays Lorcana, plays Constructed, Lorcana and the feel of Lorcana constructed is going to drastically change in mm. set two. Set two is not a adjacent set to set one yeah. whatsoever. Set one has very 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 few options to win the game outside of what is directly represented on board mm -hmm. and because of that it's very much my turn your turn i can see if you're gonna win i can do things about it um you know maybe i can make you lose a lore and that's probably the extent of sort of my ability to interact with you and then there of course is eye of the fates um which is uh outside of that parameter but that's the only card outside of that it's very much on board as we progress these cards you'll see the context of Lorcana. And how decks will be able to gain lore quest when the game is going to change drastically because there will be ways to win the game outside of what's directly represented on board. So it's definitely going to change the tempo of the game quite a bit. Mm -hmm. All right. On to Prince Charming, Heir to the Throne. This is a Sapphire card. Three, it's a 3-3, three, three, cost 4, can be inked, Dreamborn Hero Prince. It's a vanilla creature, so no text, and it quests for 3. I think this card is good. Yep, I think it's good. Um, it's Definitely in an archetype, but you know, I'll tell you about the the deck that beats on Ruby Amethyst the most, that beats on Control the most, yeah. is um, in my opinion, Emerald Sapphire, and this would be a direct slot in. So, right now, the way the game currently works, uh, at least against Control, one of the ways that these decks try try to win usually is they'll quest up in the early game to get to like fifteen, and then pretty much everything they put on the board is a threat. It needs to be removed immediately. Or it, it threatens to get uh, to quest for the amount that is on the card. Because the way you deal with creatures in this game is generally they quest, you tap them, you kill them. And if you're playing control, you should be ahead on board. So what you're faced with is every time they play a character, you need to have the dragon fire, you mm -hmm. need to have the be prepared. That being said, I think there'll be more ways to interact with this in the current state of the game. This card would be very good, in my opinion, something like a an emerald sapphire, <laughs> because dropping a four drop that threatens uh, this much of your win condition is pretty good against something like control. I'm really, uh, I'm on a tangent here, uh, Kawa, because I'm super interested to see. I, I have this, I hear people have this discussion at my locals occasionally where they're like, oh, I wonder if they're going to add in priority and instance and all this other stuff. And I'll tell you that that will never happen. But one thing that might happen is they might actually add in sideboarding. 
And I think that it would be an addition, a good addition to the game. Um, so in, currently in game two or three, you kind of just shuffle up the deck and go again. Yeah. But I would not be surprised to see that as a aspect of the game that's added later. Maybe it adds too much depth to the initial player, but I would argue that the beginning player is, you know, they don't really care about sideboarding anyway. So you know what's yeah, actually interesting about that is for the oh, first yeah. like two to three weeks at my locals, at just my locals, they did sideboarding. And I was like, and I was like, it's like, it's not in the rules, not whatever. And like, no, I, I'm not the type of person that I'm like, oh my God, it's against the rules. I'm not playing. Like, I'll still, I'll still play. You know what I mean? Cause like, it doesn't bother me that much. And some people said, oh, it's good. Some people said it's bad or whatever. But like, I've experienced what it's like to play against Sideboard. And it, for the most part, it didn't seem too bad, right? It's like, because uh, mm-hmm. it, it benefits both, it benefits both players pretty much. Is like, I think when I was playing Control, someone, I think at the time they were probably playing the mid range deck, right? They took out, so like, some of their pieces that would deal with aggro a little bit more and they want to put in more more cards that could deal with control and help them win faster so uh yeah it's just funny you mentioned that because i have i've actually already experienced that <laughs> Played with cyborg. yeah and it's it's not it's not bad but again like if it i'm of the opinion that if it comes to the game i don't mind but if it doesn't come to the game i also don't mind too much right I, i'm not of like oh, i hate sideboarding or i love so I'm, I'm kind of just like if it happens i'm okay with it but you think I it would really be a like benefit it. overall, yeah? Mm. Oh yeah, I really, I really like it. I think that it could change the dynamic of gameplay where you make less, um, less interesting and quote unquote, and doing my Doctor Evil quote fingers, uh, relevant decisions in deck building because you don't have to build your deck in a way that accounts for you know everything that you would play. Because right mm-hmm. now there's a lot of tension in deck building, like you can put cards into your deck that will actively decrease your win rate against certain matchups, and sure, 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 against others. So you're consistently making a meta call. Um, sideboarding doesn't doesn't get rid of that concept, but it definitely does mitigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the argument against sideboarding is that it would add too much complexity to the game, and it would get rid of that. Uh, but sideboarding adds so much more depth, and it makes mm. the game feel a lot better. Because when you do parent your unfavorable matchup, like if you have a really really good deck, <laughs> and you just have this one bad matchup, I mean, then you could be putting whatever the sideboard. <laughs> uh allocation is whether it's 10 cards 15 cards you can be putting 15 cards that just are good against that matchup uh into your deck and then you go to game two and you've got this whole new deck so yeah um i like it is it correct for lakana i don't know i would say if you're listening to this let us know in the comments below i'd Mm -hmm. love to hear (laughs) what you think about that but uh yeah i think it's a possibility for the game for sure and it would it would it could be cool anyway grand duke next card is grand duke amber cards two cost inkable two two Storyborn ally with the ability, yes, your majesty, your prince, princess, king, and queen cards get plus one attack. So a very regal card. Um, and I'm just going to be straight up. In my opinion, it's very hard to evaluate this card without really trying to like build a deck around it. Like mm-hmm. I know there's a lot yeah. of prince cards and there's a lot like this. There's a lot that you could do with this card. But the one thing I want to know is like, maybe this doesn't matter too much because like, so rarities on cards, right? Obviously, we can see this as a rare card. Do you think, and I'm kind of assuming this, that obviously these rarities are put on certain cards because they are, quote-unquote, like, obviously, like, more powerful than other cards, right? Like, it's not to say in set one we've seen some rare cards that are pretty much never used, right? So I'm thinking that the design team or whatever have kind of looked at this card and said, oh, well, there's actually some interesting things you can do. And I think that rare, um, that rarity is on the card mainly because of possibly how versatile this card is, right? You could probably make a lot of different decks that will benefit from Grand Duke's effect, but it's also not a crazy powerful effect, right? Like having having plus one attack isn't crazy. However, in a possible resist meta, 
it might be. It might actually yeah. be pretty good. So yeah. There's a few vectors in which you need to analyze this card on. Uh, first of all, there is somewhat of a magic analog you can draw, which is uh, Lords. So mm. there are cards in magic that will be uh, typal based and mm-hmm. will say, the rest of your cards that share this, you know, that are merfolk or yeah, share yeah. or goblins, they get plus one, plus one. And mm. I think that card is called a Lord. This mm-hmm. is not quite plus one, plus one. It's just plus one attack. Um, that being said, evaluating this card, I do think you need to build a deck around it. But yeah, you also yeah. need to ask yourself, what is the floor? Because if mm. the floor is you're playing a two-cost inkable 4-2 consistently, right? Something you're getting plus one to two other characters in a, like a super aggro deck. That could be good. Um, that could be a reasonable floor. Uh, because I think when you look at these kind of cards, you a lot of people immediately go to Magical Christmas Land. They think about the ceiling, but it's <laughs> sure. important to think about the floor because mm. a two-cost a, a two, two inkable 2-2, two, two, at least in the current state of Lakana, is pretty playable, mm-hmm. you know? playable uh whatever you want to interpret that as like you can play those cards in your deck totally so if you're relatively consistently getting plus one plus two attack power out of this uh, that that seems pretty decent to me and i I can see the the rare the rare um the rarity as a Mm -hmm. result so i i'm not crazy about this card i don't think it's fantastic Mm -hmm. but if you are able to because I think before you would build a card around princes because plus one attack is not enough of a payoff yeah uh, sure sure for me to build you know, there can be other other cards that help benefit prince, princesses, and kings. We already have princesses and archetype. But um, if you build an aggro deck first, and it just happens to, you know, be able to slot in a bunch of princes. Like, yeah, sure, it's, a, sure. it's a pretty good two-drop. And the, the two-drop slot is pretty flexible. So mm-hmm. um, I would say overall, I think this is a good card, but it doesn't jump out to the jump out to me as a great card. For sure. Yep. All right. You want to take the next one? All right. Yep. We got Arthur, Wizard's Apprentice. It is an Amethyst card. So one, three, cost three, cannot be inked. Dreamborn Hero Sorcerer says, student, when this character quests, you may return another chosen character of yours to your hand to gain two more and a quest for one. So there you go. There's your Merlin payoff almost yep. immediately. So you bounce Merlin back to your hand. You know how much lore that is, Kawa? That's three yeah. lore immediately. That's mm-hmm. a big, that's a big, it's a big sink, right? You, you're sinking four, you're sinking seven ink into that play, but that's, that's a lot. <laughs> Gaining two lore. So I could, I think, you know what's funny mm. is this card jumps out to me is playable if it said one lore in the bounce archetype, mm-hmm. right? We don't know the power level of that archetype quite yet, you know, where the value should be exactly, but two lore seems like a lot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it, and it costs three it, as well. This card only costs three. Like that's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's spicy. hard to evaluate that archetype, right? Because we don't know what the deck looks like. We have not played that deck against you know the current uh, the current top ranking decks in Lorcana. But bouncing back a character that gets a benefit from you bouncing it back and getting two lore seems pretty nice. Like you know, even without the even like with cards that are not in Rise of the Floodborne, like bouncing back a Maleficent. Um, and then playing it in a draw card, it's really really bad tempo. Don't get me mm. wrong, it's terrible tempo. <laughs> um, but I mean, two lore is quite a bit. So uh, uh, this this card looks pretty good. You, and this is a again in terms of rarity, this is quite a rare card. Mm-hmm. So this seems to be actually the the signpost card for bounce sure. um, so far. So this is this is kind of the the signaling card. This is like one of the main cards that will help facilitate your engine. Definitely, yeah, super interesting, Freaking sweet. Yeah. I like the card. Really nice, Freaking sweet. All right, next card we have is. Prince John within Emerald. He is a three-cost uninkable one-two with Ward. With Ward, Brendan's favorite keyword, Ugh. and uh, his ability is: I sentence you. Whenever your opponent discards one or more cards, you may draw a card for each <laughs> card discarded. Uh, 
The concept yeah. seems really interesting. It's like, imagine, okay, like, let's say, okay, you know, actually, I'm going to do exactly what you said. I was about to start off with the ceiling. Let's, let's start with the floor. I was going to say, oh, let's do like, if you hit your bell, how crazy is this card, right? But you're playing a three cost uninkable one, two. You better be taking like, uh, you like making, making use of this card's ability, right? Yeah. If, if it also not, quests for two, terrible. right? Yeah, it also quests for two, so for sure. it quests for two, but you will likely never tap this because yeah. this is like a static ability. It's, mm. it's So the, this is effectively giving the ability of like an item, but mm. it's more interactable, kind of, but it also has ward. I don't know. This card is definitely hard to interact with. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, they are... <sighs> Ravensburger has made an interesting choice with the amount of discard that is Emerald because discard... So what's interesting is that discard and card draw accomplish similar things in a card game but one feels like dog shit mm. and the other one is like you know players can't really perceive how much advantage sure. an opposing player is getting out of drawing additional cards right because if you discard a card it feels really bad if your opponent draws a card it doesn't have that like guttural feeling sure like, sure you know. so they've really gone heavy into the discard and emerald um i, I don't know to be honest it, it, it's hard for me to say I will say that if, if <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a useless statement, but if Emerald discards the best deck in the game, that's going to be an interesting meta for sure. That would yeah. be wild. Mm -hmm. for what, sure. are, what are your thoughts on, on Price John? Because you have immediately evaluated the stats for me. I think mm. this could be like a 1-1 one, one even. Mm. Sure, um, sure. And I, I guess, so the thing is, is like cards like this, if we want to, I think that they're most susceptible to AOE removal, uh, like Grab Your Swords, mm -hmm. uh, like like Tinkerbell. Um, I guess Tinkerbell is less relevant because they can't even hit it with the trigger. But you know, like Grab Your Sword, so that it does get cleared by that. It is only um, Grab Your Sword, pretty much that I can think of, right? That actually really affects this card, like unless you're doing double Tink or because you because mm -hmm. Tink can can hit stuff because it's AOE, but like no, nothing can ping this. So like it is pretty much Grab Your Sword. If not, this card is actually sticking pretty well on board. Yeah, um, we'll see if there's more tools to deal with cards with ward because right mm -hmm. now there's like absolutely freaking nothing mm -hmm. um, other than you know AOE removal and uh, <laughs> imagine mean, imagine sinking a be prepared into Prince John. Yeah, oh that, that's God. that's like what you don't want to do is the control player one hundred and one, <laughs> but uh, it could be necessary. Yeah, we'll see. It, mm. Prince John very hard to evaluate. This is a context based card, so hard to evaluate on raw stats. It's pretty bad, but. Um, I mean, if you activate this once, you have a three drop that's drawing a card and making your opponent discard a card. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I mean, that that's like, you could just read this as draw two cards. You could read this as, you know, opponent, kind of like opponent discards two cards. But yeah, two card differential is massive. So I think even activating this once, so you consider that to be the floor, mm -hmm. uh, this card is pretty good. Will it be good enough? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you, in the current state of Lorcana, where you just walk up with a 60 card deck, this card would be good enough against all different archetypes because it's probably pretty good against control, uh, but maybe not as good against like aggro. It could actually be totally useless for aggro. So, are we putting this within uh, Emerald Steel and uh, you know doing a whole new world? So you draw what's this fourteen cards? Yeah, it's so a possibility. There's the combo. Yeah, there's the a combo. possibility. It's so I'm so happy that you brought that up. Yeah, by the way, because yeah. that that is exactly what you're going to do. I I remember seeing the spoiler a couple of weeks or like yeah. a week ago, mm. and thinking about that, and I actually forgot about it as we mm -hmm. evaluated this card. Yeah, this card is ridiculous. Yeah. For the whole world. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I don't know how those triggers. I'm assuming the triggers work the way we expect them to, where you actually do draw the cards that your opponent discards. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah that, that's obnoxious. Oh my god. Yeah, it's crazy, right? 
Like, I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of crazy, but uh, like maybe Mill will become somewhat of an archetype. Like, if you can fit Prince John into the Lady Tremaine, you know, do well, you it wouldn't again. want to play the Mill because you would draw more cards than your opponent. Well, if you've like if you have a really big deck, then I mean, then it's le- oh, less. Oh yeah, I forgot this game has infinite yeah, deck size. I, I guess it, I guess it, it does. It, it's still not great, right? Because yes, you are drawing more cards than your opponent, but then. But then the beauty of Prince John is like maybe you can just kill it off and then it doesn't matter. I don't know. It'd be interesting to, spl- to explore for sure. I think you just play this in like basically a whole new world, but you have Emerald as part of the deck because currently a whole new a whole new world decks um, or Will Steel mm. runs Amber, and I think that there's you could replace Amber out of that color combination mm. potentially if something like this was powerful enough. Yeah, I'll have to share. Anyway. I'll have to share a uh, an Emerald Steel deck that I faced uh, last weekend when I was at locals on it. I just about beat it, but man, it took me for a ride. I think it's a really, really good color combination. Interesting. All right. Mm -hmm. Is this me? Yeah, Yeah. this is you. Mata Mim, Purple Dragon. This card is exciting. (laughs) It's a 5-7. Cost 7, can be inked. Storyborn Villain, Sorcerer Dragon. It has evasive. Oh, it just gets me excited. I love waking (laughs) up to the smell of evasive in the morning. It says, I win, I win. When you play this character, banish her or return another two chosen characters to your hand in a quest for four yeah so one yeah. less ink than brave little taylor mickey uh you're getting much you're uh, not much better stats right plus two health which is definitely relevant um because this can't be hit by uh oh never mind it's evasive what am i yeah. saying doesn't even matter uh, but yeah the condition is you have to have two other cards down but if you have two other cards down if you're, if you're playing you know if this bounce archetype deck kind of has some cheap things that you're bouncing back constantly which might be the case right if you're just playing like one or two costs that you're constantly bouncing back say with arthur say with all the merlin cards that we saw the madam mims then if you just have those cards on board you play madam in on turn seven suddenly your opponent has to answer that right mm. so i think in a bounce archetype you want your engine to be more like the three cost arthur rather than the seven cost madam mim mm-hmm. um i would say that I definitely err on the side of a uh, very. Uh, I'm a I'm a brave little Taylor Taylor hater already because mm, mm. I think brave little Taylor it's exciting you know it, qu- it quests for a lot it's his big body but it it doesn't really accomplish a lot more than four cost Pongo or five cost Goofy um, and all it does really in my opinion is it gives your opponent the ability to trade up on the removal so mm. it trades up on every piece of removal be prepared trades up Dragonfire trades up etc and. I just think that that card, the juice, is not worth the squeeze. It's actually pretty bad. I think it's super, super overrated. Can you land a Brave Little Taylor against a non-control uh, deck or a non-mirror deck or an aggro deck and it, it, it quests for a lot in the game? Yes, but I don't think the Brave Little Taylor was key to you winning that game in the first place anyway. I think it's mm-hmm. good versus mid-range, if it could be good versus anything. I think Mata Mim is actually more unplayable than Brave Little Taylor. That that clause where you have to put two characters back, that's a lot. Sure. You hardly have to be have quite a few things on board you know um so i don't think that it fits in anything outside the bounce archetype and in the bounce archetype i would see this as being underwhelming but i could be wrong you know mm-hmm. that that deck list i just have no idea what it looks like so yeah bottom in really cool <laughs> very exciting card like this big uh like shivan dragon-esque kind of card like this big i don't know this big timmy card almost so i, <laughs> I just don't think it's very good to be honest sure uh, okay, next card we have is a Legendary Scar, 7 cost, uninkable, 6-5 with Rush, uh, with an ability, Daddy isn't here to save you. During your turn, whenever this character banishes another character in a challenge, you may ready this character. He can't quest for the rest of this turn. 
So this card is basically... Okay, let's say an ideal world is... You want to play Scar when your opponent is playing, I don't know, let's just say Amber, Sapphire, and they have a Hades on board, and they have a 5-cost Maleficent. You just trade into both of those. It's but like Maui, right? It's exactly, it's exactly like Maui. It's exactly like Maui, except it can actually <laughs> quest for two, which I don't think that ever really matters. Like, if you're actually playing this card, you don't really care about how much this card can quest for. Uh, but it is a difference to Maui. And obviously, it costs two more, and it's not inkable. Looking at this yeah. straight away... I think it's quite underwhelming. I don't think it's, yeah, it's uh, bad. that good. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's bad. Mm. Um, the cost to play for an uninkable card is really significant. Mm. And Maui, yeah, Maui doesn't quite. So th there's a lot of cards in Arcana like this where they don't do, they aren't the best at doing one thing, but as a way to compensate for that, they also do another thing mm. that is just polar opposite to their original role. So if you look at this card as the role of like, let's clear things off the board, you know, um, with Rush, which is a very significant ability. But now you add these other restrictions onto it. So you add the restriction of making it cost two more. You make it uninkable. But you're like, but it also quests for two. You're like, well, the reason this card was in my deck was actually just to yeah, kill shit on the board. Mm. Are you going to encounter situations where you end up questing with this card? Yes. <laughs> um, that would happen. Like you would probably use both abilities. But in a game like Arcana, where your deck list is tight, um, you're probably just going to play the best role players of that role, right? So you. I can't imagine this being better than Maui. Mm -hmm. Is this good as just like a curve out to turn seven? Like, is this good enough as a turn seven play? I don't think so as an uninkable. Uninkable is a massive cost to pay in this game. So yeah, I'm not a fan of Scar. If this was six cost uninkable and it didn't quest for anything, would you consider it? I think it would be um, obviously better in my opinion. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, mm. definitely better. I don't know. Uninkable is a, is a big cost. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it'd be funny if this card ended up being super playable and then we're sitting here debating. It's like, <laughs> if it costs one less, would we play it? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. It, it, I can already see it's worth like 70 bucks or whatever. I don't know how relevant that is on Lorcania, but I don't think that this card fits into any decks that I'm currently playing. Uh, it could fit into like a mid-range deck, but I don't know. I think you got to be really select, uh, select, uh, selective with your uninkable cards. Mm -hmm. And this, this is this is a card that looks to me like a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, go ahead. Li Shang, archery in instructor, three six steel card, five costs, can be inked. Storyborn hero says archery le lesson. Whenever this character quests, your characters gain evasive this turn and a quest for two. Okay, that's relevant. Mm -hmm. So this is a three six, and it gets all of your other characters evasive. That's pretty funny yeah. with uh, Ruby Amethyst evasive. No, <laughs> makes it your opponent doesn't. Have wow. Oh, Brenda's um, yeah, scared. So no. <laughs> yeah. So this card single handedly destroyed my archetype. Great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a. This is such a funny card because what you have to ask yourself is: Can you play a five cost three six in your deck that quests for two? Um, because that's kind of underwhelming, but the ability... Yeah, I think the, the ability is kind of worth, yeah. Maybe, right? It's 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 worth depending on the meta. In the current meta, this ability is pretty freaking worth if you expect mm. a lot of Ruby Amethyst to show up. Because um, this absolutely shits Ruby Amethyst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a really good card. I would have uh, I would have preferred... If I really wanted um, this effect, I would prefer this effect at a, at a cheaper cost because five is relatively expensive. Um, means they can trade even with dragon fire. Um, they're pretty close to be prepared when you have this card on board. But that being said, right now, there's not a lot you can do about evasives other than have evasives or have spot removal. So they are very powerful in chapter one. Mm -hmm. Um, Li Shang definitely 
significantly mitigates that. Yeah. I think this card is is really good, but I'm also biased because the the deck that I play the most, mm-hmm. the deck that I enjoy playing yeah, the most, it's pretty good against gets it. Yeah destroyed by this card at first when i read this i thought they said when you play this character i'm like oh my god that's kind of because if you if this was on play then basically like you said like you couldn't actually remove it because it's on quest you could you know if you have the dragon fire you can get rid of it and then your evasives are kind of safe right but if this was on play mm-hmm. i think it would be really good like super super good yeah I, I still think it's super powerful because if you think about evasives uh from a fundamental perspective evasives are under static characters like mm-hmm. you're playing bad characters in order mm-hmm. to get the evasive ability this comes down on five allows your opponent to trade favorably into all your evasives that trade you their true their two drops or three drops for your four drops that are two threes and um yeah Li Shang, i think it's uh i think it's a good card i would definitely have my eye out on this card if i was playing steel and i, I don't know this this, this is one of those cards where it really makes me super interested for um Rise of the floodborne because you know we're so used to ruby amethyst being the control color combination mm-hmm. at this point uh and i think by no means is that guaranteed to be the case in rise of the floodborne mm. all right next card we have here is bibbidi bobbidi boo it's a emerald action and song it is a three cost uninkable uh, it reads a character will cost three or more can exert this to sing this song for free Return chosen character of yours to your hand to play another character with the same cost or less for free. What do you think, Brennan? Wow. Um, huh. That's interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, so if you're looking at this card, like <clears throat> I get to remove damage counters off a car off one of my cards because I get to save one of my cards, bounce something back, get the damage counters off, play it later, play something for free. I think that would be a pretty underwhelming use case. Is it, is uh, it good assuming... with like shift? Like if you want to shift something for a little bit cheaper and then you can get something even bigger out faster. That is one thing that comes to mind that could possibly be interesting, but I don't think it's insane. I'm just t- trying to think of like, okay, what's the kind of value situation where you play a card for less, but then you kind of replace it for something even bigger, right? That's the, the kind of shift mentality i have yeah this card. i think you just got to think about this card is it ha- it's a lot of card disadvantage right like i you, no matter which way you kind of cut it and you look at the situation you are effectively discarding this card mm-hmm. for that effect so i was like just it's, it's kind of like on- just in time in, in, a, in a way if if not actually just in time is it, it it does a different thing but in terms of yeah like you're replacing a card in your hand to bring something else out sure yeah, just in time is consistently cheating resources where mm. this is not doing that. This mm-hmm. is not cheating any resources. Yeah, yeah. So cheating resources is powerful. Playing five drops on turn three against control is really powerful. Mm. This just doesn't do that whatsoever. Um, I would say evaluating this card in a vacuum where we are right now, uh, it looks pretty bad to me. That being said, this is like one of those cards where there could just be one interaction that does, doesn't come to mind immediately. We're like, okay, this card has a use case. But mm-hmm. from a fundamental perspective, I think this card is pretty bad. Sure. All right, on to a Tigger, one of a kind, 3-3, three, three, Ruby, costly, can be inked, Dreamboard Tiger, says energetic, when you play an action, this character gets plus two this turn, and it quests for one. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, a three mana 3-3 three, three is like a fine body, mm-hmm. right? But if you, yeah, three mana 3-3, three, three, is that enough where it's getting the plus two attack? So when you play an action, you get plus two. I think that's pretty conditional. I wouldn't really evaluate this card based off that consistently. Um, but if this is a three cost three three that can kind of consistently trade up, I guess it's fine. 
But yeah, I think this card is just super average. I don't think the ability is insanely powerful. I think it's very, very conditional. Uh, but the stats are fine in you know yeah, yeah, a very fun. small yeah in the very small small card pool that is Lorcana right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be playable if you need a three drop, but other than that, I think it's it's just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. All right, so the next right. card we have is uh, Donald Duck in Steel Deep Sea Diver, five cost inkable, six five Dreamborn Hero. This is a vanilla character. And it just quests for one. So this is basically Cerberus, but reversed, right? Let's let, which one do you think is better? Which Do you think it's better to have a six, a six attack, five defense, or five attack, six defense? It's interesting because, like, there are certain cards that I can think of that have six health that, like, it's really good to hit into them. But then, <laughs> if that's the case... I just play Maui. I would never... I don't think I'd ever play this card, right? Like, I'd, I'd play a 5-6 because I feel, feel like that health for five mm-hmm. is worth so much more than if this is flipped. And if I want to actually be aggressive to try trade into things like, like I mentioned, the five cost Maleficent, Hades, whatever, I just wouldn't play Donald Luck. I'll just play Maui. Yeah, I think that Lorcana is a game of big butts. Mm. Like the butt is way stronger mm-hmm. than the attack. <clears throat> so um, I think this this is a this is a derivative of Cerberus. It's just flipped stats. And I think the Cerberus in most scenarios, at least in the current state of Constructed, is better. So mm-hmm. um, it's an option if you need it, but I think it's overall not a great card. Just yep. vanilla card anyway, so it's hard to call it bad. <laughs> next next one is Minnie Mouse zipping around. This is a Ruby card to 3-2. Cost 2, can be inked. It's a Storyborn Hero. It's a vanilla creature, so no text, and a quest for 1. So 2 cost 3-2. This is maybe a card that you could... Sh- I don't know if Minnie Mouse has like a shift. Um, I think it does. She does. It was the evasive one, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the evasive um, one. The Diver has shift 2, which is basically Pongo, but it's whenever you play a second action in a turn, this character gets plus 2 lore this turn. So, yeah, and that card is yeah. interesting. So I think it's important for us to evaluate these cards mostly by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- We'll probably do a constructed review on the last week, yep. um, by the way, and then we'll try to bring it all together, evaluate the cards in the context of other cards, mm-hmm. and maybe look at deck list, uh, you know, like a balanced deck list, and be like, is this actually powerful? But this, by itself, uh, two cost three two, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's it's playable, but as we, more cards enter the game, I think there's less of a likelihood that you're playing just straight up vanilla creatures in your deck. Yeah, can't say much more about it. I think it might be useful for shift, but yeah, by itself, it seems it seems fine. I mean, if there is a lot of uh three cost three three cards within the meta it can it can trade up but then it can also be probably removed pretty easy as well but again all depends on what type of meta we're in um all right next card we have is a daisy duck secret agent this is an emerald card Uh, she's a four cost inkable two three that quest for two dreamborn ally with an ability called thwart whenever this character quests each opponent chooses and discards a card yeah, this is this said uh, this and quest this, for two. Yeah, quest for two. This discard. Uh, that is emerald, emerald in the set. Yeah, I remember we. I think all three of us were talking. You, yeah, uh, the, me, you, and Moyen. Mo- Mo- and Moyen yeah. was like, Moyen was like, "How do you not play emerald yeah. in the next set? It, mm-hmm. it just looks insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you're getting this effect on turn five. I just it feels like." Any sort of control deck or any sort of deck that's trying to go late will just get absolutely wrecked by mm. Emerald. Um, I don't know. It, it's a powerful effect. I mean, a four cost two three. So you're gonna, you're basically gonna 
ideally you're going to get your opponents to discard one card. One card yeah, I think sure. like the the regular like the the floor or the average of this thing is you your opponent discard one's card. It's a very understated character. It has the same stats as Pongo, um, and then it gets cleared. But I don't know. This seems this seems pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, Emerald in their discard just seems actually kind of nuts. So I don't know. If you turn three, you drop that. Um, what's his name? Prince John. Yeah. And then you play this. Like I mean, it's just it's such a disgusting curve out. Like, yeah. Your it is. It's just going to yeah. be immediately top decking. Mm-hmm. I'm super interested to see how this plays out because this is one of those things where, from a game design standpoint, I don't understand how the play pattern is not absolutely miserable for the opponent. Sure. But sure. Ravensburger made a made a conscious decision to build Emerald around this. So they, mm-hmm. I mean, they've obviously play tested it. Um, I think they did a really good job balancing set one. So I'm I'm cautious, <laughs> optimistic <laughs> but cautious because it looks terrible to play against, bro. Mm. It looks so bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it looks like a getting back to the evaluation. Looks like a good card, Daisy Duck. I agree. Yeah, yeah. This next right. one though, <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 hit it, we'll hit out. We'll hit a few more um, before we close out for the episode. We'll yep. try to hit some of these non-vanilla characters. All right, we got the ultimate Timmy card. We have Goofy. <laughs> Night for a day. It's a 10-10 in steel. Cost nine. Can be inked. Dreamborn hero knight. And it quests for four. So a 10-10 that quests for four that costs nine. I mean, yeah, I think that... Yeah, yeah. You, you don't play Maui, so you don't play this card. You don't play the, the big Maui, so you don't play this big card, in my opinion. Yeah, these, these cards yeah. are just not good in Lorcana. Yeah, yeah. um, they just give your opponent like infinite agency against you. <laughs> By the time you get to turn nine... Like, turn nine... A card like this is not as threatening as it looks because you're not really going to be doing combat with this card. Mm-hmm. Like if you're dropping this card on turn nine and doing combat with it by turn 10, your opponent is probably already in a losing situation where they don't immediately remove a card like this sure. or aren't just like winning the game on turn nine anyway. So yeah, it looks, looks pretty bad for me, but it's, uh, you know, I'm sure some people will enjoy playing with this card. This is one of those cards where, you know, it's like a, there's like, there's like these different, this idea there's these different psychographics in card games. There's the the Spike, which is the ultra competitive player. Mm-hmm. There's the Timmy, <laughs> which plays cards like this, likes to play like the fun cards, the big cards. Yeah. There's the Johnny, who likes mm-hmm. to play the ultra synergistic kind of like usually bad deck. So in, mm-hmm. in set one, it would be Mill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't remember if there's a fourth one. Um, but yeah, those are like the psychographics. And in the <laughs> psychographics, this would be a Timmy card. This is uh, yeah, this yeah, card yeah. is pretty bad. All right. All right, next card we have is Rapunzel within Amber. Uh, this is a five-cost inkable gifted artist. Zero six with shift three. Uh, the card can quest for two, and its ability reads, let your power shine. Whenever you remove one or more damage from one of your characters, you may draw a card. Um, Seems pretty interesting. All I'll say is I don't want to kind of get into too many crazy spoilers, but I think there's an upcoming card we we might get to it next week that combos pretty pretty well with this card but uh are these overall, uh spoilers that you've seen before everybody else of course yeah i've seen i've, <laughs> I've seen i've seen all of these um, you see all of them? yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm actively looking at all of these oh i cards. thought you were talking about spoilers oh, about oh no 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 no, no. the card the other card has been spoiled already i think oh, i like, think it's in um i want to say it's in sapphire but uh, okay. what I want to note about this card that's interesting is it does have shift three, so I'm expecting a cheaper Rapunzel to get printed because at the moment there's a what is it's pretty much well, the four cost and the six cost. Yeah, the one five. Mm. Um, I think this card is going to be pretty bad mm. <laughs> competitively. The only reason I say so is like Rapunzel's already a card that 
your opponents will likely play around. Like Rapunzel was one of those cards. It was the most broken card in the game, and then it became like a little bit less good. Still a very mm-hmm. good card, but just became less good as people became aware that you can try to play around it. Obviously, you know, there's an opportunity cost to playing around it. So um that's not it's non zero, it's significant. That being said, I'm I'm not a fan of zero attack characters because they can be traded for free. Mm-hmm. Um they just represent a way for your opponent to lose tempo. And I don't, it just seems a bit win more because you also have to be removing these counters so i think it's more of like a kind of like a synergistic fun deck than a competitive deck sure. even if you think there's good aoe heals in your in your deck yeah, you e- even then mm. even then mm. it's just kind of slow and clunky because if you're shifting it you're two pointing yourself and then you're getting this ability it could end up being powerful in like an mm. ultra synergistic deck but outside of that not so much got you okay so the next card we have here is pinocchio talkative puppet this is an amethyst card two cost uninkable one one storyborn hero with an effect called Telling Lies. When you play this character, you may exert chosen opposing character, and this card quests for one. So this is essentially freeze, but attached to a body, correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it's uninkable. I think Mm. freeze is inkable. Yeah, Uh, I'm going to double check that for you now. Yeah, this card is so bad. What the? (laughs) 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 This card is terrible. Um, Interesting. freeze Freeze is uninkable as well. Okay, so Freeze is also unplayable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could be missing something. Obviously, Freeze on a body is better than just Freeze mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. That's just sort of how spells and bodies work. So, Edge of the Battlefield effects are very powerful. Um, yeah, I don't know. This card seems super, super bad to me. I would be very surprised to see it in any deck list. Um, but, yeah, what, what, is, what, is your, what is your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think it's great, honestly. Uh, I think maybe... There's a situation where you want to use it to be like, you know, trading into your opponent's things or, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it, right? Cause all, all it's used for is that once you exert it, it doesn't like stay exerted. It's, it's not like Elsa. It doesn't actually freeze the character until the start of their next turn. Um, or, you know, whatever else's ability is. Um, so yeah, very underwhelming card in my opinion. All right, next up is Four Dozen Eggs. This is a Sapphire action song. Cost four, can be inked. Um, and it says, your character is getting resist plus two until the start of your next turn, which means damage dealt to them is reduced by two. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting one. So resist two is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, lot. Um, but there's a lot of things that need to be going the right way. I mean, if you're the aggressor, if you're the aggro deck, it's going to be very hard for your opponent to clear your stuff. Sure. Um, so like an opposing control player might be looking to play Maui on turn five. Maybe their Maui doesn't clear everything you have on the board. Um, outside of that, you know, worst case scenario is you play something like this, it gets be prepared. And the mid-range mirror is probably decent, but is it good enough for an entire card to justify an entire card? I think the best case of this is your opponent has tapped out. Mm-hmm. You can play this card. Now you don't have to trade. You just you just value trade everything on board, but I think that's a bit of a magical Christmas land. Yeah. So um, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. I would rather have the the item that gives resist, to be honest. But sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, that's it, where it's, I'm at. it's the same for me. I think... If you're playing some type of aggro deck that this card comes down at the perfect time to protect all of your cards and then you win after it, it could be good. But uh, I think people will mess around with it and it might be pretty good. I mean, it's it. we know that resist is a very powerful keyword, right? So we could be saying, oh, this, is, this isn't great, but then it could turn out... This card could turn out to be pretty good, right? I, I think it's one of those cards where it could actually be decent, but... Um, I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if it became pretty good. Could it be playable? Maybe. Um, I think uh, this card... 
it's a lot for the cost of an entire card. It needs like th- some things to sort of line up. So mm. I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, but <laughs> I think that I'm. Uh, I've been sleeping on the resist. I don't. I don't. I feel like I don't sleep on resist. I just. I definitely sleep on cards that are kind of one cards like virtually do nothing, which is mm. kind of what this is. Doesn't really impact the board like immediately. Mm-hmm. It's not a body. Um, but uh, yeah, I did kind of, and I am kind of sleeping on the resist steel item because it's uninkable. But mm-hmm. I don't know; it's, it's it's just hard to tell at this point. Anyway, the next one, uh, I'll, I'll let you close this out with yeah, the last yeah. one here. So we have a Queen of Hearts, quick tempered with an emerald. Say two cost uninkable card. One two Dreamborn Villain Queen with an ability Royal Rage. When you play this character, deal one damage to chosen damaged opposing character. And this can quest for two, so mm-hmm. it's That's same. Relevant. Yeah, it's the same amount of lore that I can quest, and same stats as Flynn Rider, which is known to be a very good card. I do think that Flynn Rider is a much better card because it's, infinitely better. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like inkable. Its ability is better. I mean, this is just a body with Stampede attached to it, and Stampede is already a terrible card, in my opinion. But I can see why this card is kind of printed in terms of. I mean, we saw. I think it was the legendary beast that if you, uh, I can't remember what the card does, but it has some synergy by basically like dealing a lot of damage to your opponent's cards. But the problem, oh, with, yeah. the problem with this is, I mean, the cards already have to be damaged. So that's why I, I, I hate Stampede as a card. I remember when I was first playing the starter decks, I was like, this card is so bad. Why is it in my hand? Get it out now. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the, the, you know, being able to quest for two is good, but I just don't think you're slotting this card into any deck over Flynn Rider, in my opinion. Yeah, so Beast is the six cost Emerald card, four or five. It says whenever an opposing character is damaged, you may ready this character so you can quest with it. Yeah, sure. Um, will that deck be a thing? Is the, this 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 card? I think only goes in that deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is has to be in a deck supported by Beast because this card is mm. so bad by itself. Mm. Um, yeah, which makes sense why it's uninkable because uh, the Beast's Beast effect is Beast's effect is very powerful. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, we'll we'll evaluate all the cards in uh, in context of each other at the end and do an entire set review. But evaluating this card by itself, it is absolutely garbage. It's yeah, terrible. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, that concludes spoilers for this week. Let us know uh, what you think. If you agree, if you disagree, let us know what we got wrong. Um, we'd love to hear what you think in the comments below. If you if you enjoy this podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps so much more than you can imagine it's the number one thing you do to support us um we're both on twitter i'm at brendan apg kawas at kawatech underscore cg uh yeah until next time see you all next week